Uh, if you've ever thought about recording a podcast, Anchor is the best way to do that. We use that for Boats and Does here. Uh, if you haven't heard about Anchor by Spotify, it's the easiest way to make a podcast with everything you need in one place. Uh, Anchor has the tools you need to record and edit your podcast right from the phone or on your computer. When hosting on Anchor, you can distribute your podcast on all the listening platforms like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. And best of all, it's totally free. So if you've ever thought about it, download the Anchor app and go or go to anchor.fm to get started. Welcome back to the Boats and Does podcast. I'm Brandon. Today we have a special guest. We've got Michael Perry from The Sporting Gent. So introduce yourself a little bit and tell us what your job is here at The Sporting Gent. And uh, if you don't know, The Sporting Gent is a clothing brand predominantly. And uh, they make some really, really nice outdoor clothing. Um, I'm not wearing any yet, but I will be soon. <laughs> but we, I walked in your shop one day and got to talking, and now here we are. You're on the podcast. Perfect. Uh, thank you, Brandon. appreciate you guys having us on. Um, I'm Michael Perry. I'm the uh, head shopkeeper flying field at the Sporting Gent. Um, the Sporting Gent is, you know, we like to call it our little slice of southern heaven. Um, it's not only a, a shop that has amazing products, but we also, since 2018, we've been in apparel line as well. And uh, we just try to make sure we've got something for the guy who has everything. That's kind of our whole mentality here is we've got the best stuff, and even better, we've got the best people. That's what we really pride ourselves on here. Yeah, I mean, I think, Tyler, you were walking around today. Um, it's like everything you didn't know you needed as like a hunting or fishing guy. You know what I mean? It's like It's like the... You have all the stuff that you currently use, but it's all the, like, swankier, like, nicer, maybe not necessities, but they make your life easier. Well, it's all the extras that you didn't know you needed until you saw them. Yeah. And you're yeah. like, oh, I got to have that. And the bourbon collection here is very impressive. It is. It is. I'm actually very impressed. And I'll say before, you know, you give people the impression that uh, we're too highfalutin, you know, uh, we got a $0 booze budget. And all of that is thanks to our great customers who bring those in so yeah it's uh those are all gifted bottles awesome um yeah i mean the apparel is definitely is that you guys' bread and butter like that's the apparel is becoming our bread and butter um when our owner and founder mark williams started the sporting gent the idea was to carve out a a piece of charlotte for the outdoor sporting male um and i think that first started with a lot of outside brands of good quality and then eventually it turned into uh well i love this brand but if only it had this or if only it had that and you know by 2018 once he had been in the business a while he started creating products to answer those questions um one of the first major products we hit off that really made me a fan of the brand before i worked here was um our haven field jacket it's Mm -hmm. uh the most breathable a durable hunting jacket I've ever worn. And so I think, you know, going forward, our bread and butter is on finding materials that actually work for sportsmen out in the field. Yeah, I mean, that's that's a huge deal. Um, we went up to Pennsylvania last year and did some pheasant hunting for the first time that me and him had ever tried hunting pheasants. And I, we, we could have went with some, some better gear. You know, we were covered in stickers by the end of the day and, like, just... We were in, like wool 
hunting clothes, like, just covered in everything. Totally not set up how we should have been. Yeah, so I can appreciate, you know, having having the right gear for the for what you are doing. Um, it makes life a lot easier. So if you don't know this, we're in Charlotte, North Carolina, um, and we want to talk today about why North Carolina is and why specifically where we live. Like, we're in the middle of all of it, right? Absolutely. We're, we're three hours to the coast. We're an hour and a half to the mountains. Um, I mean, when I was trout fishing super heavy, you know, I went through the trout bum phase. When I was doing that, I was driving every Saturday morning, going trout fishing and driving home. And you could do the same at the coast. You could drive down on a Friday after work and drive back Sunday evening and get your get your red fishing in or go offshore or what what have you. So it's like we're in a really special place. Um, and what's your what's your favorite thing? about North Carolina and the outdoors? Uh, well, you know me, so I'm leaning towards the bass fishing. Um, <laughs> and honestly, like our home lakes here aren't what they used to be, but we still have, you know, Falls, Jordan, stuff that's two hours away, and like the MLF went there last year, and I think almost every pro that fished it had they, they lit the, seven plus. They lit the world on fire. Yeah, like it's now the home of the heavy hitters for this year, so it was... I mean, it showed out, so I'm definitely uh, stoked about that because then you don't have to go all the way to Okeechobee. Or, well, Okeechobee's not what it used to be either. So. Well, yeah, but you uh, don't have to travel to all these great places. Yeah, I think, you know, we're, we're not the normal sportsmen, right? Like, a lot of guys aren't willing to travel. They're going to do what's close to them. They're going to – if – they don't have a good deer population, they're probably not going to deer hunt, right? And we're very fortunate that we get to go to all these cool places, um, whether it be Idaho or Pennsylvania or down to Florida to fish or wherever. And it's um, sometimes you got to take a step back and really look at like what you have at home and be thankful for it. And I think COVID showed a lot of people, you know, that using what you have right at home, it hurt the turkey population for sure. But um, actually utilizing what you have at home and not being so destination specific and like if catching a carp is you know that if that's what you have in your backyard well carp fight hard they're spooky they act like bonefish why wouldn't you want to fish for that fish um so on the coastal side of things we have inshore and offshore and some of the best duck hunting in north carolina exist on the coast um that's one place i would love to get down to and Michael, what I mean, you guys were originally coastal guys, right? Uh, I am. Um, Mark's kind of a, a, a transient figure, where you know he's got uh, a background of one of his parents is a Brit, and one of his parents is a Canadian, and uh, interesting. He spent some time traveling, and Charlotte became his home. But uh, I'm a I'm a North Carolina guy through and through. You know, I've I've done a little bit of traveling uh, for hunting and fishing. Uh, but I'm, I'm very biased in loving the resources that we have and the very distinct different regions that allow us, uh, you know, different avenues of hunting and fishing. You know, um, I'm from eastern North Carolina, about an hour north of Wilmington. Um, so, I, you know, I really grew up in an area and not even realizing it because I didn't get into hunting solidly until late high school, all through my college years. 
and uh, just didn't realize it was kind of sitting on a waterfowl gold mine of down east North Carolina. And uh, so, yeah, I'm open invitation for you guys to come join me on a duck hunt down there. Absolutely. We, uh, actually, Tyler has been trying to convince me to go duck hunting for probably five years. And last year I finally said, you know what, let's do it. And I mean, we hunted every weekend after that. Like we went from, you know, one string of decoys and a white bass boat that we were hunting out of to, uh, painting his boat camouflage, his Ranger, uh, Cherokee. And I bet we've got 48 decoys now. (laughs) Oh, at least. Uh, And, uh, what's the, I'm, I'm blanking on the, uh, the waker, the butt waker. Oh yeah. I bought a, I got, I bought him a duck butt for Christmas last year. Nice. And he, what'd you buy me? You bought me a pack of, uh, teals. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, If you guys are down for, uh, jumping in the blind and taking a nap from one forty-five till, uh, it's shooting time. (laughs) We'll go hit some, uh, late season spots down on the coast. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So that's, that's one thing that, um, I'm just dipping my toe in the water in. And even though that we're not a flyway, right? Like being in Charlotte, we killed ducks last year. So it's like, how do you, I mean, I would love to go hunt a flyway, but you can't do that every day, right? You can't. True. But I mean, we still have a good local population. Mm -hmm. We're fortunate that with Wiley, um, Lake Norman, and even up to Lake Lookout, you know, kind of build off of that Catawba River system that we still have a local population of, you know, at least mallards, Canada geese, and wood ducks for sure. Yeah, and the the Canada geese, like, that's probably the most consistent thing around just because of the, I mean, there's so many resident geese. I'm secretly addicted to calling in cans for sure. Like, I got to the point where I got more into getting cans to, to cup into decoys and let my friends shoot just because I get so pumped from bringing them in. Yeah, this year will be we'll actually have a dog to work. So, yeah, that'll be a lot easier than uh, <laughs> me trying to wade my fat self out there and find your ducks. Yeah, um, Savannah is a little upset that Nash is not in the house right now, but um, you know, he he's, he needs his training. So she's kind of got a. I hear it every day. She's like, "I miss Nash," and I'm like, "Well, it's it's only a couple more months, and we'll have him back, and he'll be the best bird dog ever." So. Um, super excited about that. And then we have on the coast as well, we have redfish, uh, trout, you know, all the inshore flounder. Um, you can catch sharks and rays and all these crazy things that pull super hard, like in the intercoastal. And you really don't even need a boat. No, you don't. Uh, growing up, that was my start in the outdoors. You know, listening back to some of your guys' shows, you talked about growing up outdoors, and it really made me think back to my early experience wasn't necessarily hunting. It was going with my friends on a John boat or we'd all pile in a kayak, uh, you know, up a Creek out to one of the mouths of like the new river or something like that near bear Island. Um, and we would look for all kinds of stuff and fish all day. You know, the best thing about inshore fishing is it allows you that, uh, variety of species, mm-hmm. uh, even from the bank, you never know what you're going to pull up when you're inshore fishing. Yeah, I mean, that's that's very true. Have you ever done much inshore? Not very much at all. I've done some offshore and mostly, like, freshwater here. Yeah, that's, that's one thing that I feel like I've always overlooked, and I'm looking at doing more of it 
this fall when the when the reds the big reds start running just to get my hands into it but i've always been the guy that i i just want to go like offshore catch grouper go for mahi you name it like that's um i have a captain's license and was running a, a charter for striper down on lake murray for a while and like anytime i went on a boat i just wanted to go like 20 miles off right even had an offshore boat for about two months before I decided to sell my house and needed to get rid of the boat. But, um, yeah, it's just like, there's so much stuff that we kind of probably take for granted. And some people travel to North Carolina just to inshore fish, you know, it's absolutely. A lot of the guys I grew up with are now captains specifically for inshore. And I would say through COVID, um, I think, in general, we've seen not you know the fishing industry pick up, but also the popularity in fly fishing at the coast. And so, a lot of my buddies who are uh, captains who normally ran tours of conventional gear now offer, "Hey, let's go catch some reds on fly too." Yeah, I I know a guy down there, and he's like he's like anti fly, and the reason being is he gets all these like trout bums that come down there and can't double haul, and you know he sends them three months before their trip he's like hey make sure you're practicing casting here's some videos this that and the other and they get down there and they can't they can't make a presentation to the fish so he he stopped taking fly people interesting for sure yeah um so upland hunting right north carolina could be the best upland state in the world it is and you know i'll say that's something i'm late to the game in where I've only been in the Charlotte area for about six years, and my upland experience has been through our owner here at the shop, Mark Williams, that, you know, um, he's well-connected and has allowed us uh, to take some company hunts. And uh, as much as I enjoy the coastal pursuits I grew up on, um, there's something very special about upland bird hunting for sure. Yeah, I mean, I'll I'll never forget hearing the first pheasant laugh, you know, the pheasant chuckle, and then... What do you think the first time you had a pheasant flush up from under your feet? Um, honestly, I, I I almost wanted to shoot it just out of, like, fright. Because it was just like, I literally almost stepped on it and it just took off. Yeah, no, it the first one, like, it scared all three of us that were walking that line. I, yeah. I don't even think Shana had never really pheasant hunted either. And, uh-huh. yeah, no, it's there's nothing. That's a big bird, and you can dang near get right on top of it before you it gets uncomfortable enough to fly away you can and you know the unexpected when are they going to flush when are they actually going to pull up you know that's an element that you don't necessarily always have uh when you're in a blind hunting waterfowl you know so you've you've always got to be on that ready and that it's that close shot that you think you're going to be good at but um man the guys who can shoot quail, I'd love to take them out to shoot ducks because I feel like if, if you're nailing quail, yeah, they're tough. You're gonna be on, and they fly fast too. Oh yeah, faster yeah. than teal. I will say pheasant pheasants are almost um, they're such a big bird, and when they like, if you get the gun up on them fast enough, they're really not that hard to kill. I don't know if because they just they come up right in front of your face and then they go away from you or go over you. Sure, and most of the time, like the first like five seconds you have a pretty decent opportunity to kill them it's not like quail where they're really small and they fly fast and you know they bust up in groups um yeah i'm excited now that 
you know, we went last year for the first, that was my first upland hunt. I told Tyler on the way home, I said, I'm getting a bird dog. Like it's happening. I, I, and then I talked Savannah into getting one as like our Christmas present. So we got a GSP and now he's in training. So we'll be hunting this fall with a not expensive at all. Yeah. We're not talking about it, (laughs) but super stoked to take your dog and probably your truck to Pennsylvania and go hunt. I don't know. I'm selling the truck. We ain't taking mine. It's got to pay for that GSP training. Yeah. Yeah. I got, I got to sell the, the super duty. I'm going to have a forerunner by, you know, probably a month and a half from now. The question is, is it going to have a cracked windshield? Do you know about the cracked windshield chronicles? I don't. I don't know the cracked windshield chronicles. All right. We're going to do a podcast on this eventually, but the cracked windshield chronicles in short is that to be a good trout fisherman, you have to have a crack in your windshield. That's my problem then. Yeah. I mean, when, when I was trout bumming it, I drove a 2001 Tahoe, um, I put three transmissions in that thing running up and down Boone. You know, it's those transmissions are notorious for going out, but this, the rate of speed at which I was driving up to the mountains every Saturday morning definitely was not helping. And I had a cracked windshield, and I used to smack the trout. Now I've got a new truck, and it doesn't have a cracked windshield, and I can't catch trout the same way I used to be able to. Oh, man, that makes so much sense. I feel like I should go put one in mine now because – you know, being an Eastern guy coming up here, uh, started to become a bit of a trout bum, but also uh, have a two-year-old, so that's really put a hurting on the f- fishing time for sure. Do you do you watch um, the heavy or what's his name? The heavy fly fisherman or hardcore fly fisherman or he did a he did a, a fly fishing stereotype video. Oh yeah, I did see Western him. Yep. North Western yeah. North Carolina has their own stereotype. It's called blue liners. Basically, if you can see a blue line on a map, like we're willing to fish it. Oh, the uh, huge fly fisherman. Huge fly fisherman. Yeah, that's it. Um, Which is kind of how, I mean, that's me. Like he he said that stereotype and I was like, yeah, I want that little bitty water that nobody else fishes. And, you know, you got to hike into you and the fish aren't, they don't ever see anything. Um, So Western North Carolina trout fishing is, and I, I mean, talk your first experience fly fishing. I took you and we got you on some, some brookies and some browns, right? Yeah, and you set me up way too light and broke everything off. But hey, I got I got the bite though. The bite was there, and that yeah. last one, that one I lost right at the the underpass there. That oh, you're talking about fish. right right there at the bridge when we were coming out. Yeah, yeah, it was a good fish, good wild fish. Yeah. Um. God, it was amazing though. Like it was just to wonder how cold that water still was, as warm as the air was when we were up there. Yeah, yeah, the water, I mean, those wild streams, that's, it's, it. they have to stay cold, right? Yeah, 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 makes sense. Um, but it was just a wild experience getting up and just walking through, looking for fish, like, seeing where f- fish would be, like, in a creek that you had no idea there would be one laying there. Like, oh, I it, had never been experienced to trout fishing until that trip. And the water's a lot smaller than you probably expected, Absolutely. Right? Like, you know, your typical, like, stereotype flies like the guy double hauling and he's got room for days and that is not the case up there yeah, no, no the uh, uh the guy i used to work with took me uh fly fishing about four years back and uh he said now this is not going to be a river runs through it he said so get that out of your head it's gonna be tight roll casting and um 
Man, I definitely fell in love with it, though. I mean, sure. my, my personal best brown, I never even casted. Just dabbed it in there? I just, there was, um, so I was on the Davidson River, and you know all that flooding happened. Oh, yeah. Um, so I walk up to a bank, and a tree had fell. So there's this big undercut in a bank. You probably know exactly what I'm talking about. And I literally, I was like, hmm. I didn't even walk all the way up to the river's edge. I just dabbed my dry dropper and, like, floated it down with the stream, never put out line, never did anything. He ate it, never made a cast. And, I mean, you know, I ended up fighting the fish for a while, big brown. And, yeah, I mean, that's just North Carolina fly fishing. There's four rivers you can actually double haul in. Yeah, for sure. And uh, I guess that's why I missed that big brown because no crack in my windshield. Yeah, I wanted I the so. same hole you're talking about. Yeah. He was there. He's probably still there. We actually turned the uh, – rolled it away from just fly fishing for the cracked windshield as well, smacking your first turkey in the old uh, the old hoopty. Yeah, so I turkey hunted for like five years before I killed a bird. I called him in a bird like way before I ever killed one. Um, I think I, two seasons. Yeah, I, we had him a bird killed two seasons before the guy that was calling had killed a bird. Yeah, I heard that on uh, one of your previous podcasts when I was listening in about the turkey adventures and felt kind of bad because that was something like my first trip out. I killed like a 20-pound bird with like double beard. Like, Yeah, I, I, haven't, I haven't had it like that. I, I got spoiled on that and like props to my father-in-law for putting me in a good spot. But uh, the luck I've had turkey hunting, I wish I could exchange it for some trout luck for sure. Yeah, no, it. So he bought this this like junker to get in between vehicles for a while because it was a '93 S10 Blazer, four door. Yeah, and it, I mean it was the biggest piece of crap you've ever seen. Oh, it was beat. It was beat, but it had a cracked windshield, and we were on the way turkey hunting that morning. And I asked him, I said, "Does the cracked windshield roll over to hunting too?" Because like if we went fishing, we'd catch fish, but are we going to kill something? He was like, "I don't know. We'll see." And then he sent a Snapchat of the first the first hunt in the hoopty, and then and we got it done. Yeah, then I killed like a that bird had like one inch spurs, ten inch beard, like real nice, healthy, probably two or three year old bird. But yeah, I mean, it's almost like those stories that like we've had, like being so willing to just like whatever, like we'll make it work and we'll get after it. Um, like I feel like because of that has given us the ability to do this, right. To do this podcasting stuff and actually have something to talk about and be funny. And like, it doesn't have to be pretty, right. Your first time trout fishing, like you can tie, I mean, people fished in car rods. That is probably the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard of, but they do it and they catch fish and it's literally just a stick with a line tied to it for better or worse. Right. Like absolutely. And, uh, we've got a lot of things in store, but that's that's part of the policy here's no tin car. Okay. So uh <laughs> and uh if you ask Mark, no Euro, but I still sell plenty of uh Euro jig flies for those guys too. Yeah, so let's get back to upland hunting for a second. So North Carolina as a whole does a very poor job of managing the resource, right? We we used to have an abundant quail population, a woodcock population, and a grouse population up in the mountains. And the only places that you will find a wild quail population now to some degree that is countable is on private land that's been taken care of. So like 
Anderson's farm that he, you know, they do burns and they do all this stuff to keep the habitat. Um, but you don't really run into them on the public land anymore. And it's, you don't. Um, and my experience with that has even been with the grouse and the woodcock where we have a lot of, uh, overgrown floodplains down east that are supposed to be natural game land habitat for grouse and woodcock and every time i've been you know we're lucky if we see one or two birds honestly so yeah my dog trainer was telling me he hunted two days and they pointed one grouse and yeah I, that sounds about right and i mean they hunt hard he's like he's that's what he does. He trains dogs for a living. So, um, now they hunted those, those dogs hard and he's got some of the best dogs in probably North Carolina. So it's just sad. And it's really simple. Like if they would do controlled burns more, you would get the nice brooding ground and the birds would be able to, you know, you don't have to plant birds. Right. You just got to grow the population that's there and we, we're not doing it. Habitat, habitat, habitat. Oh, absolutely. And you know, that's, it's something we try to do on the our like media element. Um, our first uh, film that we put out via our YouTube page was called, was called "Calling Mr. Bob White," and uh, a friend of Mark's. We were talking to him about you know he has a uh, a private uh, piece of land that he tries to maintain a quail population. But if people want to know more about uh, some of those issues of you know bird population management, land management, that's uh, something we address uh, in that series as well. Yeah, absolutely. And we'll, we'll attach the link to the uh, episode here to, you know, kind of get some more education out there. Because that's, I think, the more people, like you look at Florida, right, and all the issues they had and the captains for clean water, all it takes is people understanding the problem. Like, they're making big strides now, like, and if Florida b- votes one way or another that is negative to the water quality, like the governor is getting his hide tan for it, you know, and it's the more the more that you kind of get the knowledge out there, the more successful we can be at making changes. Absolutely. I'm I'm a big proponent for, you know, conservation education my background, I spent about a decade in public school education, but I feel like that's a trait I've carried over into uh, working with our customers here is, you know, pointing them in the right direction uh, as far as the right things to do. And, you know, we partner with a number of causes um, to really get, uh, get out to people the awareness of the things that they can be involved in. Uh, because like you said, you know, I, I've got friends who work, for NC Wildlife as biologists, and they said they can write reports and lobby, lobby, lobby all they want as an agency, but nothing really happens on that front until it comes from the voting public. You know, that pressure on the people who could lose their jobs, that's who really helps shift things. I mean, it's kind of morbid in a sense when you think about it, right? It is. Like, we have to threaten someone that their job's going to be lost just to get a bird population that was once thriving and belongs here. It's not invasive. It's, it's native. It belongs here. It needs to be cherished and grown. And, um, well, when managed properly too, it doesn't take a load of work. Like it's, it's fairly simple. 
to upkeep something instead of trying to go through all the efforts and funds of getting it back to where it should have been yeah, and instead I'm, of the preventative maintenance. And I'm kind of sure that, you know, from a from a fire hazards, hazard standpoint, if you do those regular burns and you get the, the popu- all that stuff there, like, in the end, you're not going to have as many wildfires, which Western North Carolina has really struggled with in the past few years. And you're really managing the land from a better perspective. So you you want to do the the closing? Yeah, so for our closing, we've decided as the uh, Boats and Does team that so you're going to be the inaugural is going to do their ones that got away. Oh. You mentioned that was your favorite episode. So oh, man. we're... Uh, we're gonna put you on the spot here with which one got we away. We also we also have a huge idea that like we'll do a once that got away T-shirt. Oh, like, nice! Limited run of T-shirts. Like we'll do the the ghost for Ben, and then we'll do like me pulling on a Volkswagen on Lake Watery and like all that. Nice. Well, uh, awesome. I'm I'm honored to be the inaugural one that got away. I have so many to choose from too. So, um, man, I was thinking about this too when I was. I'm working in my backyard listening to that episode uh, two days ago and just kind of laughing like a crazy person with headphones in at what you guys were talking about. But I'm going to say that the the one that really sticks out for me, for the one that got away, is probably the biggest drum that I've, I've ever had on. We were out drum fishing, me and a buddy of mine, um, the Northeast Cape Fear, we had landed a, a, a few nice drum, like, in the slot or in the 30-inch range. And then all of a sudden, uh, of course, you know, it's like it's like clockwork, right, where um, you don't see birds till you're picking up decoys or, you know, it's, it's one of those situations where um, checking my phone – because I'm definitely fishing past when I said I was going to be. That's the um, way it always works. Yeah, unfortunately. Um, so I'm I'm in that situation already. No cracked windshield. Uh, <laughs> and I have like a, a medium heavy like Cabela's saltwater rod out. And so I'm, I'm not running light gear for this. And this is before my fly fishing days, but... It's the only time I've seen a conventional rod like that bend over like a fly rod. Yeah, uh, just doubled it? it? Doubled it and starts screaming. And and I'm just kind of in shock. Uh, and within, I don't know, felt like minutes, but I'm sure it was like 10 seconds. But I started fighting back a little bit, trying to get after him a little bit. Um and immediately lost him. Like it's the only time I've ever really had that in the in the fishing realm. Like I've definitely like I've been in a tree stand where I've spooked like a real thick buck, you yeah, know, like yeah. that sort of thing. Or you know, I've I've seen like thirty inch trout. You know, I almost went with this story, but I was on the Davidson last year and had like a thirty incher right Jeez. after all the flooding. Yeah that I could see clearly, like I almost could have run up to him and probably tried to net him. There used to be a piece of concrete close to that where you were at. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So like I, I, we have all the, we have all the trout in North Carolina. I know. Like I, (laughs) I threw everything at him just to be like, what are you going to eat? And I think he was just, 
not feeding. Like it was worse than probably getting broke off the way I was on that big red. Um, because he was just ignoring me, like yeah. didn't want anything. So it's like, it's like, you know, when you are trying to tell your wife something going down the road and you know, she's just not paying you any attention. Just look, yeah, at, look another uh, way. I've been there, you know, uh, in my case, you know, cause I can be a little bit of a rambler. Like it's more like, glazing my wife over and so like the one important thing i said in all that gibberish she's like how was i supposed to yeah. figure out that was what i was supposed to listen to you need to become a podcaster maybe so <laughs> we got a lot of things in the works over here at tsg so. yeah yeah you just let us know if you need any uh any help down the road we've made the mistakes and now we're i feel like we're going the right direction now we're getting there for sure it's better than it started well, thanks, Michael. And if you want to check out the Sporting Gent, we'll we'll link, you know, all the social accounts and the websites and the, all the good stuff. Um, and we'll catch you next time. Thanks, guys. We really uh, appreciate you uh, letting us on the pod with you, and uh, we wish all the best for you guys going forward. Yeah, um, yeah, absolutely. We're we're just trying to have fun and keep it fun and not try to make it too serious. I will say that's the best thing about this so far. Just I'm kind of a podcast junkie like i'll listen to any random podcast and the best thing about this is there's so many like unattainable levels of outdoor men's like podcasts out there like but i don't feel like you guys are trying to be anything more than you are and i'm hoping that authenticity really carries you guys through that like you're regular dudes who like to be outside you know yeah i just don't like like, it's growing a lot more than we probably, like, we don't care. We would be doing it. We just like sitting around and talking junk, right? Like For we, sure. That's, we started doing it, and we've enjoyed it, right? Like, Yeah, it's been fun. It's been something for us to do. To, um, I don't think we ever imagined it would blow up. It would. We always thought it would be awesome if it did, but it was never anything other than us just trying to be genuine about talking about, like, what we like to do. Yeah, I mean, we were we were sitting on my back my back deck at my old house, and Tyler's like, "What do you guys think about starting a podcast?" Because we we hang out every Tuesday night. We have a running like we have a running Tuesdays are for the boys, right? Like nice. that's not without stepping on some copyright infringement. Um, well, we've we've got a Saturdays are for the birds. So, yeah, yeah. Um, so we always we always joke with our our wives that you know they'll ask for plans on Tuesday and we're like, well, you know, Tuesdays are for the boys and they all just know that Tuesday we're all hanging out. And we were like, why don't we just podcast? Right? Like it was Tyler's idea. So we're sitting back there and we're like, what should we call it? What, what should we call it if we're going to do it? And we started with a snowball mic, right? Like this little $40. It sounded awful. None of those episodes are live anymore. But we figured it out, and we enjoy it, and it's fun. Um, so as long as we keep it fun, there's no reason not to do it, right? Like, even if it pays us and we can quit our jobs and just hunt and fish for a living, like, that's the ultimate goal. But, like, even if it doesn't, we're still going to do it just because it's fun. For sure. And, you know, that's a, a mentality that crosses over here, the sporting gent. Like, we try to make sure that we take care of the people that come in the door, you know? Like, um, we want to have a good conversation with you as much as, you know, we'd like for you to buy something, you know, like if you leave out of here and nobody spoke to you, that's a fail on our end. Yeah, absolutely. I see where you're coming from. You know, like we would rather somebody come in here and uh, have a good conversation with us 
um, and know that they were engaged with by our team. Um, and for people to come in here and feel like they got like the cheesy used car salesman thing, you know? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, thanks again. Uh, we've, we really appreciate you guys listening. If you can like subscribe, um, leave us a comment, leave us a review, like, and subscribe on the, the sporting gents Instagram. They're always posting, you know, some really, really good photos and, uh, bird dog stuff and yeah we tend to be pretty hilarious so yeah absolutely and if you're in the area come check out the shop yeah no they're super nice guys a lot like, of nice stuff in here too yeah stop by it's uh 2848 selwyn avenue in charlotte and we're open 10 to 5 all week and 10 to 4 on saturday did you rehearse that today or i rehearse that every day on the phone <laughs> okay all right well thanks we'll see you next time